Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to the First Time Podcast, let me explain. It's really, really simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, and we're going to talk about it. My guest on today's episode is the host of the Customers Also Watch podcast and the co-host of Unsung Horrors on the PFPN. Please welcome to the show, Erica Schultz. Hey, Tad. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. I was a guest on your show quite a while ago, and uh, I've been trying to get you on here and trying to figure out what would be a fun episode, and I'm stoked to have you on because I knew you would pull something crazy out of uh, the the film world. I mean, we're, it's no secret I like talking about movies, and mm-hmm. uh, most of the time we talk about movies, and nobody, I, I, mean, I mean, I don't know anybody who watches as many movies as you, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's I follow you on Letterboxd and I'm like for every one movie I watch I think you watch 6. It's <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, you have two film podcasts um yeah. which I love the concept of both of them. You just it, it, the uh, Unsung Horrors is still sort of new compared to Customers Also Watch, but um why don't you explain a little bit to our listeners uh the concept of both of your shows? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh so Customers Also Watched is a podcast I started about 2 years ago. And I started with one movie that was on my watch list on Amazon Prime, watched that, did a review of it. And from there, I picked a movie from the customers also watch list. And every episode is a rinse and repeat. So every episode, um, I pick the movie for the next show from the customers also watch list of that episode. And it's been an unbroken chain of a uh, close to 60 movies now at this point. And um, it's a lot of fun. I it, runs a gamut of genres because you never quite know where the list is going to take you. I do try to be strategic when I pick, but sometimes it bites me in the ass. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's I've covered horror movies, action movies, sci-fi movies, um, new Hollywood movies, um, just all over the place. And and it's been a lot of fun. And I've met a lot of great people doing that show just because I always have to have a guest because that's just me. so it's been a lot of fun. And uh, and then Unsung Horrors is a podcast that I started with my, uh, my friend Lance. Um, he also lives here in Austin with me. And we would always go to Terror Tuesdays together. We went to Fantastic Fest uh, back in 2019 together. And, um, you know, we, we missed each other. And so I was like, hey, how about we we do a horror movie podcast? And so we because there's so many, we were like, we need to have a uh, sort of a gimmick. And so our our little niche is that we only review horror movies which have fewer than 1,000 views on Letterboxd. And just to give perspective of that, something like The Exorcist has 50,000 views on Letterboxd. Um, and even some of the more sort of really obscure cult movies still have around 1300 1500 views so we're going for like we're really digging deep for for a lot of these and we surprisingly have a fairly extensive list of stuff to choose from so it's um it's been a lot of fun and we're we've done a few sort of thematic um thematic episodes so like in january we did giallo january um april we're doing april showers of blood so all of the movies that we're going to cover that month are going to have the word blood in the title. Oh. And um, 
we did a horror movie challenge in October where we had a different category for each day of the month and I watched a movie for those. And um, for every movie that we watched, we donated a dollar per movie to charity. So we're going to be doing that again uh, this October. That's awesome. So, I mean, like I said, you, you watch so many movies. Um, I've learned since starting this show that I almost like I, I sort of consume films in a different way. Like if I have movies I haven't seen, I tend to keep them on the shelf because I'm like, oh, I got to make an episode out of that if I'm going to watch it. And it's like I, I got to get out of that mind frame and just enjoy movies. I take too much time picking them like I I envy like that. You this whole like customers also watched uh the way you pick movies is so cool just because uh, it sort of makes you choose like here's here's your list. You have to go and it's like almost like a choose your own ending book that has no ending. It's like it yeah. jumps from one thing to another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like one of the rules I have when picking is it has to be a movie that I've never seen before. So um, which which kind of sucks sometimes because every now and then a movie will pop up on the list that I really, really like. And I would, you know, I'd love to talk about it and uh, maybe do a show about it, but that's not the point of the podcast. So, um, but yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, I get it. I get it though. You know, just having stuff on your shelf and saying, I should, I should get to that. And for me, I think the last couple of years have been <clears throat> just, uh, I don't want to say quantity over quality. Like last year I watched over a thousand movies and, I think I'm, I'm at like 160 already so far for this year and it's the end of March. And that's, that's still a lot. Um, I prom I have a full-time job people just FYI, but, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I, I have a bunch of things. My, my watch list is really extensive on Letterboxd. So it's like, yeah, just, I, there's a lot of things I know I want to get to, but then you know, shiny silver object over here. I'm like, Ooh, what's that? And I'll just watch that. So <laughs> I have ADD when it comes to watching movies sometimes. I have, like I said, sort of the opposite problem where I'll, I'll sit and stew on something for too long and then just not make a choice. And then it's like, well, it's too late to start anything now. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know. I'm really bad about it, but, uh, I always watch your list and I'm like, that one must be for unsung horrors because i've never heard of that is there like some way you can do like filters on letterbox when you search for stuff like how do you even uh find movies that are without knowing the title like i don't quite understand how your search works um so initially i would just do a um i'm trying to remember how originally we did it and i think the, so the good thing about unsung horrors is, you know, not unlike customers also watched is that I can pick a movie that I have seen before. And so a lot of it is just based on remembering like, oh, I've seen this movie before. I wonder how many views it has on Letterboxd. Oh, it's under a thousand. Cool. Adding that to the list. And that's how a lot of those come up. And a lot of it is just from the people that I follow on Letterboxd, like seeing what they're watching um, seeing if it's something that I would be interested in, in watching and would be good for the podcast and then seeing how many views it has. So, um, you know, our list, you know, our list started with maybe we each, you know, we maybe had 30 or 40 movies on there and we just keep kind of adding to it when we come across them. Um, so there's not really a way to just search like horror movies and then you could technically sort by film popularity, but even that's not um foolproof because it's really like a rating right 
Well, the popularity could, yeah, it could be the overall rating, the number of like little hearts it gets and um, not necessarily how many people have viewed it because you can't sort by that. So it's really just um, going off of like what we've watched before and then seeing what other people are watching. Because um, I tend to follow a lot of people who, um, you know, watch a lot more sort of like obscure like weird films mm -hmm. uh and so i'm like oh okay and then going from there you can see like oh what else have they watched um recently or looking through their diary and looking for i'm like i'm a full stalker on letterbox like just <laughs> you know full disclosure like if you are watching weird shit i've probably looked at your profile so um that's uh kind of how we find those yeah i i don't even know if there's anything on my letterbox that has um that few of views like i i don't know i outside of um attack the killer podcast like i'm I, I need to reach out more is what i'm saying like i need to branch out and uh i think unsung horrors has helped a lot with that because i'll listen to the show and i'm like you know oh that's actually sounds like something i'd i'd like or something you know or it turns me away from something if you guys don't enjoy it but yeah. um it's it's really cool just to sort of give these movies that are Ha almost have like no chance of being viewed because they're not in the public eye and it gives them like a second life, like doing a whole show on them. I'm sure like, I don't know. It, it'd be interesting to me to see if like the directors or people involved with them are like, Oh shit, there's a whole podcast on this movie. You know, this like mm -hmm. obscure movie. I always, I always wonder if like who's out there, you know, finding out about this. Cause they say like every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Yeah. So that's sort of cool that, you know, you guys are doing that and finding the uh, but I feel like even the stuff that you wouldn't consider that, like this, you just watch so much in, qu in quantity. It's like you're it's just amazing to me uh, every time I'm on there. It's just there's you're always on my front page on Letterboxd because you watch more <laughs> than anybody I know. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm just always in awe of that. And so when I um, asked you to be on the show, I, I always tell people on the show about my embarrassing letterbox lists. I have one that's uh, movies that I have never seen, which is just, those are certainly like big mainstream movies, like the top of the heap stuff. Um, and then I have another list of things that I've seen that I really love that I want to talk about eventually. And uh, I'm so glad you didn't even bother looking at those, like, <laughs> because I want like a true Erica pick because those, you know, there's, there's probably some on there that you like or whatever, but, um, as a friend of the show of attack of the killer podcast and, and first time, um, I, I adore your, um, taste for strange. And I was like, I can't wait to see what she comes up with. And you pick something and you didn't even ask me if I seen it. And you were right. I hadn't seen it. You, you just <laughs> shot this movie out and it's like, well, of course, you know, I have so many people are like, assume I've seen so many movies. Oh, he has a movie podcast. He runs a film festival. He's seen everything. Like, no, I haven't. I, there's so much out there. So when you recommended, uh, the, the movie for this episode, I was, uh, stoked not only because I, I had heard this recently jump back on shutter, but I've just heard mm -hmm. like lore about it, but I didn't know literally like any of the story or anything. I just kept hearing the title and, um, it's notorious for being very controversial and it has quite a history. So, um, yeah. the movie that you picked for today's episode is The Devils. The Devils Burn. An explosive film. Absolutely brilliant. ABC TV. Superbly, frighteningly effective. Time Magazine. 
But of course I can prove nothing. This Mother Superior may be little more than a hysterical nun. Exactly. Mere conjecture. And what form does this incubus take? The Devils is not a film for everyone. Vanessa Redgrave, Oliver Reed, in Ken Russell's film of The Devils. Okay, The Devils was released July 16th, 1971, written and directed by Ken Russell, starring Vanessa Redgrave as Sister Jeanne, um, Oliver Reed as Urban Grandier, Max Adrian as Albert, Gemma Jones as Madeline in her first role, uh, Murray Melvin as Mignon, Michael Gothard as Father Barr, Georgina Hale as Philippe, Brian Murphy as Adam, and Dudley Sutton as Baron de Labardant. I probably butchered all of those. Um, and also Christopher Logue as Cardinal uh, Richelle, and Graham Artemidge as King Louis XIII. So, Erica, what the hell? Um, <laughs> This now, now, hey, well, to be fair, before, you know, when I when I did suggest that movie, um, I did not assume that you hadn't seen it, but I was pretty sure that you hadn't because it's not an easy movie to find and to watch. So let me just put that out there. <laughs> and that's completely I mean, that's right. That was sort of, you know, like I said, it has a lore. And of course, our friends at Shudder, um, I guess they had it previously, it went away for a while, and now it's back. And so it seems like when this pops up, everybody starts rumbling about it again in the horror community. They're like, oh, the devil's is back up. And when you suggested it, I was just stoked because I've sort of been in this, and not a rut, but I needed sort of a something to get me out of this. I, I did like Breakfast Club, Tron, like a lot of huge, huge mainstream Hollywood, almost like teen movies. And this is like, could not be more, you know, 180, like the other direction. Um, what is your, like when your thought process, when you're like, Oh, you know, I'm going to be on, on first time the devils. Like I, I really first, before I, we even get into it, I really mm. did. Uh, this is a great movie. Like not okay. it, out, <laughs> no, out, outside of the lore and you know, the controversy and everything like, fantastically acted i mean the the performances in this are fantastic the, the like the writing is so good the sets are unreal like i was watching this and i'm like warner brothers made this movie what in the world like how did this ever get funding how did it get the the budget it had i mean it had to have a huge budget it's it's gorgeous it has these <laughs> huge set pieces i have no idea how this ever got made. And then it's like, as soon as it got made, it was like the studio tried to bury it. Like what, what's your history yeah. with this movie? So I had known about this movie for a, a very long time, but you know, getting, getting your hands on it was, you know, uh, the full version because in my head I was like, no, I, I'm going to wait until I can see the full movie. Cause I, I knew the history of the release of the film before I had even seen it. So I was like, I am, I am waiting until I can see the full movie. And it just, it wasn't, it, it, I, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I, I found the VHS, the U S release VHS at a video store. And I was like, all right, I'm just, I, I just, I need to get it in my eyeballs. Um, so yeah, the first time I, the first time I actually saw it was just only a few years ago uh, or a couple years ago, actually. Um, and I immediately fell in love with it. 
I went and bought the BFI release of the UK X-rated version, which still is not the complete version of it, but I do own that now. Um, the good thing about that release is that it has a documentary called Hell on Earth about the you know history of the devils. And there's two very famous scenes that were cut from the film and are still not in the UKX version of it called, um, the first scene is nicknamed the rape of Christ. Um, but you can see that scene in the documentary itself, but just, it hasn't been cut into the film. And then there is another scene at the end where, uh, sister Jean gets, um, one of Urbane's um, Urbane Grandier's charred bones, and she actually uses it as a dildo. Mm -hmm. So um, that's in the documentary as well. So you can s sort of see it, but it it takes away from you know the original intent, especially with the 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 rape of Christ scene, because what the original intent of that. Um, you know, of that, that part of this, of the movie was to be, was that the nuns are being sort of, they're being exposed as frauds. This is after, um, Louis the 13th has come and visited them and been like, Oh, ha, this is all a farce. Wonderful. Keep it going. Cause he mm -hmm. loves, uh, he loves a show. And, um, so they've been exposed. They're tearing down a Christ statue. They're ravaging it. And so their sort of depravity is supposed to be juxtaposed or sort of intercut with Grandier on the roadside with Madeline taking communion and just sort of having this growing faith or growing purity, if you will. So it's supposed to show like he's going in the direction that he should be, whereas here's how corrupt the other side of what's going on is. So it's a shame that it was cut out of it. But if you know what the scene is and know where it's supposed to be, your, your brain can kind of do the work of it. But even without it, I think the movie. I still think the movie is is an absolute masterpiece. I think it's Ken Russell's best film. I, I've seen a number of his films. I think six or seven of his other films, and I, I'm trying to make him my most watched director for this year. So you'll you'll see me on Letterboxd watching more of his stuff. <laughs> well, I definitely this I believe is the only one I've seen. I think his other sort of infamous movie that i recognized was tommy that's the other mm -hmm. one like i in altered states are the two is that his um yeah um so i actually haven't seen tommy yet that's on my watch list for for this year altered states is probably his most accessible movie um that has a blu-ray lair of the white worm is a lot of fun it's got hugh grant in it and a giant white worm and um it's based on a bram stoker novel um, Gothic is a lot of fun. That one is based on the story of, um, Mary Shelley and her husband and, uh, I'm blanking on who the other writer is, but basically the night that she conceived of the story of Frankenstein and they're all just like taking drugs and having sex. And it's very, it's a very Ken Russell interpretation of that event. I was going to say, um, is, when you say these are fun, are they like f fun movies or are they Erica fun movies? They're Erica fun movies, okay, but, okay. but I, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're also like Gothic. I think it, it's still fun. It's got uh, Julian Sands and Gabriel Byrne in it. And uh, Lair of the White Worm is, uh, Lair of the White Worm is accessible. Um, I think when you start getting into stuff like 
Salome's Last Dance, where it gets into Oscar Wilde territory. Um, that one's a little bit less so. Crimes of Passion has an Arrow Blu-ray. That one's pretty, um, that's got uh, Anthony Perkins and Kathleen Turner in it. And that one is just a very, I keep saying fun, but I just, Ken Russell's films to me are so much fun because everything with him is just extravagant and excessive and over the top and exaggerated. And it's just that, that to me is fun. Like he doesn't hold back on anything. And that's one of the main reasons I love him. Well, this is sort of interesting to me because the whole concept of my show is first time um, either, like I said, one of us watches um, something and this was clearly my first time, but this is the first time also that I've gone back and rewatched a movie because um, I felt like I needed to. It's one of those movies that you do have to watch at least twice to sort of fully feel it, because if you're not prepared for what you're going to watch as a Ken Russell movie, um, mm -hmm. and, and I, I thought I was a little more prepared, but I watched it and I'm like, Wait, did I miss something? The second time I, I watched it through, I put on the subtitles just so I would focus on the screen and actually read um, because these uh, Grandier speeches are so epic and crazy. But it's like he's go he goes really fast and strong and, and his performance is so like captivating. And sometimes I, I get distracted just watching the visuals in this movie. So I wanted to make sure I paid attention and took some notes the second go around. So I sort of cheated because I've watched it twice now. It's not my first time, but. I mean, it's your first experience with it. And, and I, I completely agree with what you're doing. Like when I first rented it from the video store, I immediately turned around and was like, I just want to watch it again because I did not get to take in everything, you know, the, um, Oliver Reed in this is just, you know, bombastic and, and bellicose and just, and wonderful. But then you have the fantastic set design by Derek Jarman and all of the, you know, there's so much in this movie that, yeah, one, one viewing, I don't know anyone who can just watch this movie once unless they watch it and they're completely offended by it, which. <laughs> yeah. Then they don't want to ever watch it again, but. Right. Which I have no patience for that. So, I mean, I've. <laughs> I mean, but, this isn't something that I'm going to be like, you know, on like a Friday night, you know, like hanging out with friends like, hey, let's pop in the devils. But it's definitely right. something that if I'm in a mood in a mood for something heavy and serious and I don't know, brooding like something about this, because I grew up without religion in my household at all. Like we were not um, so much like an my, my family wasn't anti-religion. I just was never taught anything about it. I had one really close friend that was Catholic and I would stay the night at his house um, every so often. And I remember I would be over there for dinner and they did the, you know, said grace before dinner and they did the, you know, um, I forget what it's even called where they touched their shoulders and their forehead and, um, I was just, just like, making a cross. I don't, is there yeah, a formal yeah. name for that? I, I, I didn't grow up religious either. So I'm with you. <laughs> but like, I, I just remember like in elementary school, sitting at the table and like being like, what are they doing? And, and I would have to it would stay over Saturday night and they'd have to take me back home super early on Sundays. And cause they had to go to church and mm -hmm. uh, my friend would be like kicking and screaming, like, I don't want to go, let me go to his house. And it was like, that was my one view of church was like, this kid who did not, who absolutely hated every fiber of it. So then as I, you know, got older and, and started watching like my, my actual sort of look into it was in the film world. And it's like 
for someone who I'm, I'm pretty devout atheist, but I find, um, like religious history, very interesting. I, I actually fascinating because it's not even about the beliefs. Like, I mean, this movie shows everything, you know, it, I mean, this is exactly a prime example of, like you said, um, when, uh, King Louis like exposes the nuns for what they are and, and how these, the church sort of basically, uh, comes up with this fake case against Grandier to get, uh, into Ludan. And it's like, it wants to take him out and just basically they, they want to kill him. Um, so they just make something up. And it's like the idea of that organized religion, like they can just like, Oh, here it is. He's, he's the devil because this one nun has, um, sexual feelings for him and now he's going to die. It's like, that's, that's fucking terrifying, you know? Yeah. And it's like religious fanaticism to me is terrifying. You know, I, you and I both love horror movies and that's my bread and butter. That's what I love to watch. But, you know, I don't get scared by like jump scares and like all the just sort of like, Oh yeah, I've seen so many now that I, you know, you can recognize all the tropes and when those things are coming. So when I watch something like this, that's when, you it's really getting under my skin because I, I also i'm you know very interested in the history of religion and um but because that like i want to be scared and that stuff actually scares me because at, at its core like this movie is a story about uh so many different things but brainwashing um the corruption of the marriage of church and state, like what kind of power they're, they're trying to exert when they come together. Um, it, you know, it's about political corruption. It's about sexual corruption. And, but also you can take a step, you know, take a step further inward and say, well, it's also about the corrupt nature of man, because at the root of all this, there are people like father Barry who are driving this whole thing to make it happen. And so they're the ones who in themselves, in these institutions are corrupt as well. And it's just, it, it terrifies me so much. And when they, they make up this whole case about it, because essentially sister Jean is just obsessed with Grandier because I'm sorry, Oliver Reed, how are you not? Oh, absolutely. That, that, <laughs> that head of hair and that mustache, holy cow. Mm, and it's so the perfect, the perfect jaw. He's, he's a striking guy. It's like, it, it's so weird for me because you, they, they right at the beginning of the movie, you should sort of hate him because he's, he impregnates a girl. Um, mm -hmm. He's sleeping around. He's definitely not true to his religion, but he's like the only like, real character in this like you sort of hate everyone else even more and and you you definitely get on his side uh pretty quickly yeah especially when he starts making the arguments because he never apologizes for anything that he's done like when he you know he gets the young girl pregnant he's just like he just he's he comes to be known to us as someone who is complex and vain and com conflicted but he never apologizes for it and he's like look i lived my life as a man like yeah i represent the church but there's nothing in it that says like i can't be married and i can't have children and i can't love and he becomes the most human person in all of this 
And then we just see all of the other morally corrupt people being a part of political or um, a monarchy or um, or religious institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you've never seen this, I'm not sure why you're listening to this because we're gonna, we've, yeah. we've already spoiled plenty of it. But um, the basic rundown of the movie is that the church wants to destroy the city uh, in France, Loudon, or is it Loudan? Loudan? Uh, Loudon. Loudon. Yeah. And um, so they come to destroy it. They start blowing up the walls, pulling it down. Grandier is a uh, father. He's in charge of this because the mayor died of from the plague. It's set during the time of the plague. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go scene by scene. I'm just sort of trying to get the outline, basically. So they need a reason. He, he has complete control of this, this one uh, town, basically. And the church really wants to take it out. And they can't because the mayor was sworn that he could, he would still be in control. He passed on the power to Grandier. So they have to figure out a way to get in and destroy this place. So they find they're in when this nun who has a hunchback and, and feel free to step in and correct me anytime. Mm -hmm. um, but this, this nun who has a hunchback is, uh, lusting for him and so are all the nuns and all of them every, yeah. every female in town <laughs> and probably half the men too are are after this guy because he's like a rock star and she is possessed she writes she's they think she's possessed because she writes this letter wanting him to come to take care of the nuns and they send in um this little dude with a bowl cut instead min young and he is like the polar opposite of Grandier. He's skinny. He has bad hair. He's, um, you know, like I said, just the opposite of Grandier. So he sees her sister, Jean, go so crazy after that, um, after she finds out that he's not coming, that he's I think he actually sort of thinks that she might be um, possessed because, you know, she's she's going off the rails. And so he goes to the church and they see they're in. They're like, OK, if we accuse him of um, witchcraft, basically talking to the devil and possessing her, then we have the rights to get in and destroy this town. That's that's our way in. So they go arrest him. They give him a trial, but it's not at all a fair trial. Um, and he states, I mean, you're rooting for him 100%. And he goes in and he states like the he gives the best case for his innocence. He never backs down. He's straightforward. I love his speech that my I think my favorite um, speech of his is in the courtroom. But mm -hmm. uh, he just he stands his ground all the way to the point where they they end up finding him guilty. They burn they're burning him alive in in the middle of the town as everyone's watching and they're basically, they think they're going to get him to confess to this and he stands his ground. He's like, no, I, I'm not going to admit to something I didn't do. Um, you guys are the ones perverting the religion. You are the bad people. I'm the good guy. Uh, and yeah, he, he ends up getting killed and burned alive and it's horrific and it's horrible. But, um, I think that's, that's the, uh, the very short abridged version of the movie. There's some, a lot of scenes in there that, um, you know, we'll, we'll go over, but, um, did I miss anything in there? I think the only thing I would add is that, you know, when, um, sister Jean first shows what is interpreted by Mignon to be inter interpreted as some kind of possession, uh, she has also just found out that Grandier has married 
Madeline. Yes. Who Madeline had come to the convent previously. Like most, of, I think the average age of the the nuns in this convent, because it is based on a real story, and we can get into that later. But um, are, the most of them are young women who just don't have dowries for marriage or don't have any prospects, and so it's like, well, this is my only option. So they're not there out of devotion to Christ. So of course they're lusting after Oliver Reed, and. Madeline, uh, her mother dies, and there's this really cool scene of when with, her mother dies. With the hornets, I mean, I'm not, the hornets and the yeah. crocodile. Holy shit, what yeah, the hell? The, <laughs> <laughs> this is why I love it. That's Ken Russell. I love it. So um, Madeline goes to the convent and wants to you know, become a nun. Sister John sends her away and says, here, read this book and blah, blah, blah. Um, she ends up talking to Grandier about this and um, they end up falling in love and, and getting married. Grandier marries them himself. They're alone in a church and they do that. And so when Sister Jeanne finds about out about that, she also immediately after has Mignon come instead of Oliver Reed, instead of Grandier, um, to be their sort of overseer at, the, um, at their convent. And so it's... I think there's two parts to it. It's yes, them seeing an opportunity to bring down Grandier, but also in the beginning, at least sister Jean being very spiteful about the man that she has been lusting after marrying this other woman. Right. And, and it feels the one thing like, and this isn't a criticism, but it felt like it, that marriage happened really quick. Cause he was walking through town and she's like, hurry, come in here. My mother's dying. He goes in they're using glasses and hornets to try to heal her and and saying that out loud sounds crazy but back then mm -hmm. like the way medicine worked people thought all kinds of crazy shit i mean they used to put cocaine and coke i mean come on but um <laughs> it's like it, it, that whole scene is just wild he walks into this thing and this woman is dying and and writhing in bed and they have these glasses where they've had these hornets stinging her and i still am not sure what they were doing with a full-size crocodile i never i mean it was just to be used as a weapon later right yeah so. he, he does he, he gets <laughs> he comes in in like a fit of anger and you know he's yelling at them he pulls the hornets out and then he he's throwing their glasses and then he picks up the crocodile and throws it across the room um and like you said later when he gets in a fight um back out in the town square he uses it to like protect himself as a shield um and then throws it back at them like I, I was like the second viewing. I'm like, okay, I wasn't having a fever dream. He really does use a crocodile as a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that scene is wild. Um, we get the scene where they, after they think, um, Jean, sister Jean is, they, they basically want to do a public display of like her being exercised, which is horrible. Like, yeah, they, they bring in, uh, the Baron hires a priest to perform an exorcism in front of everybody. And they basically give her like a boiling water enema or something like, yeah. Oh, just horrific stuff. But I mean, that's like how, I mean, you think about like the history of witchcraft and all that shit that happened back then. Like, yeah, that's, it's awful, but man, like stuff like this happened. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is that so many of these horrific details that are in the film, um, are in Huxley's book. So the 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 movie is based on Aldous Huxley's The Devils of Loudon from 1952. And 
though Russell adds his, you know, unique touch to it, um, the the sort of details of how the exorcism was performed with the enema and and all these uh, all these other sorts of how the the torture how Urbane was tortured, how he was burned to death and how the, cause what's supposed to happen when he was burned to death is the, um, the executioner is supposed to put a rope around his neck to strangle him. So he actually dies from strangulation and then his body gets burned, but the flames got up too high and he wasn't able to get there. That's a detail from the book an actual account of what happened. So, so many things like Russell, didn't even have to take very many liberties with with this story like that's you know huxley's book is um you know a historical account of what happened and it's 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 a really interesting read and i think the only thing it leaves out is what would you know what happens after the burning of um of grandier which i i don't think the movie necessarily needs because I feel like it leaves you with the message that it intended to by doing that. Yeah, and it's man, it's heavy, but I I felt that I wouldn't have guessed that there was more to it at the end. It had a, a stark ending, but this is not a happy movie um, by any yeah. means. I'm I'm curious. Do you know of any, like what stuff he added himself that are like his because I'm not familiar with his filmmaking. So I'm like, where, what stuff is not from the book that he might've added? Um, I mean, obviously the dialogue, um, there is, is going to be Russell's own, but the, um, the set design is probably, you know, one thing for sure. So, um, I'm sure you mentioned it when you were talking about the beginning. And so the city of Loudon, it was the set design was by Derek Jarman and the outside of it is this stark white, very modern white brick, um, new looking city. And Huxley in his book described sister Jean's exorcism as a quote, rape in a public toilet. So there's so many there's all these scenes especially walking through um going through the convent where you see sister jean walking through there and it's just like the white bricks with the black mortar yeah, like porcelain sort of yeah yeah it, it looks like a toilet or like a bathroom and so um that was you know the city itself was still the the walls were newly built so that wasn't necessarily something that he came up with himself, but how it was designed was, uh, Derek Jarman and, uh, Ken Russell's. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the very opening of, of the film, the, uh, Louis the 13th performing the oh, birth yes. of Venus. Yeah, I forgot. Um, that's not, <sighs> I think there's there's definitely some liberties taken there. Louis the Thirteenth was known for being flamboyant and have, doing performances and things like that, but that's a very that's a good example of a the Ken Russell touch and what that would actually look like to in his eyes. Yeah, and that maybe the scene where he's like shooting people dressed as birds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I imagine it like the using a crocodile as a weapon might be something that he came up with. Um, I had actually read that like the set design was inspired by 
uh, metropolis, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, a lot of, a lot of that influence too. And especially when you get into the inside of the cathedral where it's black inside, which I love that choice. I'm sure it was a bitch to light, but, um, yeah, it's the inside of the church itself. The cathedral is start is these black columns and, so it's very it's very reminiscent of Metropolis in there, but also metaphorical in the sense of like what's going on inside that you know inside the church. Yeah, and we it, it we get the uh, scene where towards the end, and I'm jump I'm gonna jump all around, but when um, they arrest him and they're trying to get him to confess as they like destroy all of his stuff. Uh, like statues and all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. It's like a really cool set design there. And it's, it's almost like painful to watch them destroy that stuff. It, just like at the beginning when, when they start to destroy the city and they're pulling the bricks down and stuff. I'm like, no, like this, if nothing else, this, this place looks so cool. Like it's so gorgeous. Don't destroy it. And, uh, but the set yeah. designs on this, that's what I was like at the beginning when I was talking about. I cannot believe like, Warner Brothers somehow like that this movie made it past the stage where people came on to fund it and it was not a low budget like it, there's no way this could have been low budget with the sets and I mean it's it's not that's the thing about it is such a crazy movie but it's so well done like yeah it's like highbrow high wildness like I don't know it yeah, it's so Russell wrote the script after having read Huxley's book. And I think he I think he might have also um, there's an opera called Fire Angel that's about possession of nuns. And I think there's also um, a play called The Devils, which is based on uh, Huxley's book. And I'm not sure if Russell saw the play. I know he read the book, though. So he, you know, he wrote the script and I think who they originally went to funding for Reddit and were like, no, we're not doing this. They took it to Warner brothers, Warner brothers read the script and we're like, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll back this. And then when they saw the finished product, we're like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. And Russell's like, you read the script. And I think that's, and unfortunately I think that that's the case that so many people who are advocates for censorship make, you know, the MPAA and the BBFC will be, will say like, well, you can read something and you can come up with your own interpretation of what that looks like. But then when you actually see something on screen, then that's a whole different thing. And it's like, that sucks because, you know, someone in the documentary made a comment about the censorship and saying, you know, you don't, go up and cut out a piece of someone's painting or, you know, something like that. It's the same thing. Like this is art and they read the script and they were okay with it. And if you give it the green light at that point, then you should be willing to stand behind it. Well, I mean, what could they have possibly like, how did they misinterpret like a nun orgy on paper to screen? Like, how did they think he was going to film that without it being wild? Right. You know, like, <laughs> I don't where, know. <laughs> where, where was this lost in, in translation? Because to me, it's like, even just my very basic outline of it is wild enough that you wouldn't think a major studio would want to touch it because it paints the Catholic church in the worst, but true light that it was, you know, and, and in very many ways still is, but uh, you know, it's, it's like, 
what were they, you know, I just, I would love to be, you know, I would love to have sat in on that, that meeting to just Mm -hmm. what in the hell? I mean, this is a horrible, horrible um, comparison, but I think about like when universal got Rob zombie to do house of thousand corpses and they, they gave him a, a boatload of money and let him shoot on their, uh, at the studios and the back lots and everything. And they, he made the entire movie without anybody present. And then they saw a rough cut and they're like, dude, like we can't, we can't release this. Like, and he's like, what are you talking about? Like you saw the, I didn't deviate from the screenplay, the script that you saw. Like I, I did everything that you got, you guys, what were you expecting? And they're like, we, this is unreleasable. And it's like, this is exactly what you hired. Why'd you hire me to do this? And you know, it's the same sort of thing with this. It's like this, there was no, there was never going to be even the R rated cut is not going to paint the church in a nice light. It's not going to be a movie that's, um, a a has a wide appeal you know it's it's still going and, and you hire ken russell to do it like what were you expecting it's just it, it it blows my mind that this got made and then immediately almost they tried to bury it yeah it's it's unfortunate and you know i i mentioned like two of the main cut scenes are already the rape of christ and her using one of grandier's bones as a, as a dildo but a lot of the cuts were to were to the violence and basically you know five seconds of this is too much so you need to cut it down to this and there's um the scene where grandier is being tortured prior to being burned and there he's using some kind of uh pole or stick to beat his legs mm-hmm. um they don't show that making contact at all. But at the very end of it, there is like a fifth of a second showing his legs bloodied up. Well, that's cut down from obviously them showing scenes of it actually, you know, progressively bloodying his legs and breaking his legs more and more. So you that's kind of a like the main example of what they came in and did. And they cut so much out just like that because what the church did was extremely violent mm-hmm. and ken russell was like i'm not exaggerating anything that wasn't done there were hot you know there was boiling water enemas for, for exorcisms there were crucifixions there were people put on wheels there were you know people burned alive you know and so it's unfortunate because it's like it, it, when he is like takes the least amount of liberties because he doesn't have to that's when he gets censored the most because people are overly sensitive about you know religious content and um hypersexual women especially when they're when that crosses over with religion so um it's a shame and i hope that someday warner brothers will let the the whole thing out because they're the only ones that have the absolute full version of the film as as far as I know. Yeah, I was curious if that even exists in in a full form. And and right now we're getting, you know, lost films are almost not non-existent now. We've got we've been in the last couple ten years probably we've been treated with you know things that we never thought we'd see, which is great, but. When a major studio holds it, the chances are not great because yeah. what, what do they have to gain out of it, you know, um, other than a bunch of nerds money. But um, it's it's something, especially right now, it's like th- tensions are super high. I mean, 
as of recording this, like people are, are losing their minds because of uh, little Nas X making a video where he lap dances on Satan. It's like people just are. are losing oh yeah. Their... John was just telling me about that. Yeah. And it's, you know, <laughs> s- s- so appropriate with, with this movie right now. But um, if this came out, like, you know, I, I don't know if they would even consider doing a deal like, like, you know, um, screen factory, you know, they go after, um, studio films and do it. But I, I imagine Warner brothers just wants to keep this buried and, you know, they've cut their, cut their losses on it and, uh, doing their best because we're also getting, we're also in a time where like NBC's, um, removing episodes of SpongeBob and the office, um, because of, you know, certain things because times have changed and, you know, but I also think things are sort of going in the right direction as far as, um, we had movies and this is like an, a, another bad example, but like spotlight, you know, that sort of called out the Catholic church and went mm-hmm. after them. And, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I just, I highly for, in my mind, I'm like, I, I don't see Warner brothers ever going into the archives for this one, but, um, I think the lore behind it is almost as fascinating as the movie itself. Yeah. I think if there were a year for this movie to have been released by Warner Brothers, it was 2020. It's like, you're not making any money with, you know, movies being released. So how about you make all the film nerds happy and put put out the full movie on a Blu-ray and make a killing with it? But no. Yeah, they well, didn't. <laughs> but they they did get. I mean, somehow Shutter had to get the rights to sh- to stream it, and that's like they're the first place, the first uh, service to offer it streaming. So there has to be some kind of, you know, movement on it in general, because you know they there's there's some movies that just never see the light of day, and you have to find bootlegs and stuff. So right, um, you know, some somewhere someone has the rights, and they let Shutter show it. And I th- I think is that the R rated version? I assume on Shutter. Well, so I, I didn't watch the, I haven't seen the version on shutter. So I, my, the only restoration of the film that's been released is the one that BFI did. So, but they don't have the rights to it. They just Warner brothers, let them, uh, put out that release. So, mm-hmm. um, I would imagine that the version that you saw, unless it looked like a beat up VHS tape. No, it, look, um, it looked pretty good. If it looked good, I, 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 my guess is that it's the UK X version. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you saw a bunch of naked nuns running around in the church and, um, saw him get burned alive, then, um, yeah, that's, that would be the same version. That's the BFI one. The, the, the USR version is, as far as I know, has only been released on VHS and, is uh, extremely cut down. So you probably wouldn't have even seen a lot of it. Cause like when I watched the VHS for the first time and then watched the, uh, watched the DVD, I was like, Oh, okay. That's new. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like one of those cuts, like director's cuts where it's like 22 seconds extra or like a minute. It's like a different version of the movie. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because what's available now, the BFI one and uh, the the one that's on Shutter, is considered the quote unquote director's cut now because that's all that he's able to get out of it now. Whereas like what would be the actual real, let's call it the Russell cut, you know, would be what Warner Brothers has with all of the scenes put back in. And I assume the the version like there there's probably cuts that you can find online that are not official releases where people have cut in some stuff because 
Um, I, I tried to find some of the deleted scenes on YouTube and, you know, there's obviously you're not going to be able to see the, the rape of Christ on YouTube, but, uh, right. and, and I don't really want that in my search history anyways, but, uh, that's fair. That, 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 <laughs> I don't even want to know what would come up in my, uh, suggestions, but I, that, <laughs> I, that scene is like right after the huge, like, um, nun scene, right. Where like right mm-hmm. after the exorcism and it has like the huge nun orgy and, uh, right before, is that I'm trying to trying to piece it together. It's right before um, King Louis uh, comes and basically calls her bluff by offering like an empty box and uh, opening it and has nothing inside and makes fools. of Right. Them. Yeah. OK. Yeah, exactly. So and yeah, there's there's bootlegs. I'm you know, I'm just trying not to advocate for bootlegs, even though I do it myself. Um, but yeah, there's a bootleg of their of it out there of the full version with, you know, rape of Christ and you know, charred bone dildo and, um, much more gore in it. So if you are, you know, if you're want to search those depths of the internet, you can find it. Um, but you know, for me, it's like, I, I just, I, I I know you already said it. I know it's not going to happen, but I just would love to see Ken Russell's full vision come to fruition on a, on a nice, pretty Blu-ray. Well, I I hope that maybe, you know, it gets there's a lot of stuff that sort of gets a second life. I mean, like taming the T-Rex, the gore cut sat on the shelf for how long and it came <laughs> out, you know. So it's like if this is if this gets a second wind on Shudder and, it you know, I've seen uh, a lot of discussion on it pop up in the, 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 the horror groups and forums mm-hmm. and stuff, because, um, you know, a lot of us are seeing it for the first time thanks to Shudder. So, uh I just, you know, I would hope that there is a small chance and that there's some movement out there. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break and hear from the PFPN, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, and we're back. So I did my small little bit of trivia research on um, IMDb on here. And we've talked a little bit about some of the stuff. Um, and if you have anything to add, feel free to throw it in here, but um, I'll just go through some of this and we can discuss it. Um, let's see. Derek Jarman sets are modeled on the sets of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Ken Russell wanted to avoid the cliched look of period films and assisted on an anachronistic, even futuristic design. Russell's guidance to Jarman was that it should echo the rape in a public toilet line from Huxley novel that inspired the film. So we talked a bit, a bit about that. Um, mm-hmm. If you've never seen Metropolis, that's another great movie to watch. But um, don't it, these two are could not be further from. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, Metropolis has something to say, too, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's from 1927. Things changed quite a bit from the from 27 till now. But uh, 
yeah, it's 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 really cool because I'm a big fan of that movie. The first time I saw it was actually in a theater and restored and, and go- it's just gorgeous to watch. And so um, when I read that, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. um, I was not I, I had not seen a trailer other than like the little thumbnail that Shudder gives me for the devils. I I knew nothing about this. So seeing the sets just, you know, it's one of those movies you could almost um, throw on like a screen in the background somewhere and you wouldn't even need the, the audio. It's just visually so cool. So yeah, um, this film not only was banned in Italy, but the government of that country threatened the actors, Vanessa Redgrave and Oliver Reed to condemn them to three years in prison. If they stepped in their territory, I don't know how true that is that. I mean, mm. the internet's full of bullshit. Um, and there's always lore about these kinds of movies about, you know, the actors like, uh, you know, they could be arrested or they thought it was so real or whatever. But um, yeah, this movie probably pissed off a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, on Oliver Reed, this is the, his uh, favorite film that he acted in, which um, I am not really familiar with his other work. Um, are you familiar with his filmography? I love me some Oliver Reed. I will. He's one of my, if he's in it, I will watch it and I do not care. Like, but having said that and having seen a lot of his movies, this is absolutely without a doubt, no contest, his best role, his best performance. Like he, he was perfect casting for it. And he was, he was also in one of uh, Ken Russell's other films. Um, that it has a criterion release called women in love um based on oh god english geek uh dh lawrence book and um that is the first mainstream film with full frontal male nudity so you get to see oliver reed buck naked wrestling with another man and it's glorious (laughs) i was gonna say if you say crocodile i'm gonna start thinking there's there's a thing here but um no, <laughs> we, we, I didn't even really mention towards like after they torture him and they uh, put him to trial, they actually shave his head and his and his face. And he looks like a completely different person, but he's still like handsome as shit. Like, you can't, oh, he is. You, you yeah. can't you can't take it away from him. But it's like it's it's really striking when they actually do that too. like there was no bald cap involved or any like CGI like they actually had to shave his head and shave his face. And uh, yeah. Is it in your trivia that they insured his eyebrows for a million dollars? No. Yeah. <laughs> they had to insure his eyebrows for a million dollars in case they didn't grow back or grew back too bushy. So, so it's like a bet. Like if they did, they didn't grow back or were too bushy. He got a million dollars. Yeah. Who's the judge on how how bushy something is like? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I think (laughs) it's a it's a subjective thing. But yeah, they had to uh, take out an insurance policy for old Ollie's eyebrows. (laughs) So so what else is like outside of um, Russell's movies? Like, is he like I said, I'm not familiar at all with his stuff. So it looks from his IMDb thumbnail like it's black and white. Like, is he uh was he in like a lot of old black and white movies? Yeah, I mean, a lot of I mean, I guess his sort of heyday would be the the 60s and 70s. Um, he's done like, I mean, besides the devils, besides women in love, um, some other ones. Um, he's in, oh, he's in the brood. Have you seen that? Yes. OK. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Um, he's also in Tommy. He's in um 
some hammer films. Um, he's in a Euro crime movie called revolver, um, curse of the werewolf, which is an interesting werewolf take. Um, he's in a movie called venom with Klaus Kinski. That's about, um, oh, man, those kid- two together. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's something, <laughs> um, what else is he in burnt offerings? I think he's in, he's his last movie was in, um, was gladiator, which I guess is, will probably be the one that's like first listed on his letterbox, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but most people know that he died during the filming of that. And this is from John. So if it's wrong, then don't at me, you can at John, um, (laughs) about it. But he told me that like, while he was filming, he, he, Oliver Reed went out drinking with a bunch of sailors and they were like, we can drink you under the table. And Oliver Reed's like the fuck you can. And, uh, he won, but he died. So, so he didn't um, really win. He, yeah, he didn't really win, but you know, he, he died living his best life. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, he's got a lot. I think what else am I missing? paranoia captain clegg yeah like some hammer films i think he's in pirates of blood river which i didn't really care for but um oh there's another one there's an action movie it's got an arrow release called hard to kill it's also got um what's it that's not brian bosworth brian uh brian thompson who's um that blonde haired really square jawed actor who's a villain actor who's in cobra okay yeah but oliver reed is in that and Brian Thompson is going undercover playing like a fashion designer or photographer or something like that. And um, anyway, him and Oliver Reed kiss in that movie. And that's glorious. I I, I like seeing the men on men action with Oliver Reed. So it's a, it's a thing I have. Yeah. (laughs) I I saw Oliver Reed, like when I was going down the rabbit hole on YouTube, watching um, stuff on the devils and, uh, he was on, I think that they have several clips of him on late night shows, like promoting his films. And, um, Oh yeah. <laughs> he, 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 even when he was like older, he was, he was super handsome, but he's always like such an interesting guest. Like we don't really have celebrities like that anymore where it's like, Oh, if he's going to be on, you got to watch cause he's going to say something crazy or, uh, you know, he's just his own. Like, I feel like everything's so, Oh, just when, when, when celebrities go out and promote movies now, it's just like so boring. It's just junkets. It's just like, you know, everyone's just like, so how is it working with so-and-so? And everyone's just, you know, it's just a big circle jerk now. And, you know, Oliver Reed would just show up drunk and badmouth some women. And I think there was, <laughs> there was one like late night one he did when I think Shelly Winters was the first guest and he said something and just told her to get back to the kitchen. And Ooh. I'm like, like, I'm a feminist, but I I love Oliver Reed. And so like, I laugh at that and I think it's hilarious. So <laughs> yeah, not going to fly now, but uh... no, it's not. <laughs> uh, the role of Sister Jean was originally offered to Glenda Jackson, who turned it down because she was tired of playing sexually neurotic leads in Ken Russell movies. Okay, so the one of the interviews on the disc um, regarding that said that she was actually initially on board with it um, in the first draft, but then when um, when Russell cut change the ending of it because he actually cut Huxley's ending of the book, which um, I, I mentioned earlier, it's like an epilogue for Sister Jean. Um, she 
um, gets cured uh, of her possession, quote unquote, and starts a new convent and becomes highly revered. And then when she dies, she's actually, um, she gets decapitated and they put her head on an altar. Um, so they cut that part that I don't know how much of that ending he, he originally had included in there, but she didn't like that, the new ending because she, she liked the idea of in the end about it being about sister Jean's sort of redemption. Um, so I, that was what I got from the interview about her yeah, stepping I, out of it. I had a little bit of, uh, of that in my notes, it says, um, when she saw the final script, which ended with the death of the leading man, she said, that's not the way you told it to me, which I had to admit was true. She loved, she loved the idea of her head in a casket and everyone worshiping her on their knees. And with all that gone, she, she'd have just been back in the madhouse again. Yeah. So it's funny that she's like, oh, you're not going to have my me decapitated in the end. Never mind. I mean, it's every girl's dream, Tad. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I mean, it's fitting. It's not surprising for this movie. It's very fitting that, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I, I would have done it, but, you know, you didn't, you, you didn't stick to the original ending where my head was cut off. So never mind. But yeah. um, <laughs> while preparing for the climactic demolition of city walls, a technician mistook a signal from Ken Russell and detonated the explosives before the cameras were rolling. A large chunk of the set had to be rebuilt. However, a documentary on the second disc of the 2012 dvd release of the film contradicts this story in the documentary russell states that it was himself that pressed a button which detonated the explosives without communicating this to the camera team it is also stated that the scene had to be reshot a month later as a consequence the cameras were missing the destruction of the walls yeah like that russell said in in the documentary like that was the only mistake i ever made when making a film like he was the one pushing the button on it because there's Right before there's an explosion, the um, the Baron steps into frame, nods his head, and then the camera is supposed to pan over, and then you see the explosion. Well, Ken Russell got the timing wrong, and so you saw the nodding of the head, and then the explosion was off screen. So yeah, they had to redo the whole thing. <laughs> oh, and back then, yeah, that I mean, with those sets and and you know actually shooting on film, and yeah, I imagine that was a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, supermodel Twiggy and her manager slash boyfriend Justin de Villevue were given brief cameo roles during the court scene and appear as a male courtier and a tall silver wig gentleman, respectively. However, once the nuns started stripping, Twiggy walked off the set and the and the pair only filmed one shot. Oh, I didn't know that they walked off. I, I did spot her in there. I was looking for her this on this watch, but uh yeah, I saw her in there, but yeah, I, I, well, you would. Yeah. I, I, once again, it's so strange to me. Like you've made it to the set, you know what you're in for. And that was like, never like this was too much for you. Come on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's that's all the trivia I had found on IMDb. I think it seems like most of it's pretty. I mean, it would be pretty hard to find anything that's not believable for this movie. Yeah. Um, but I definitely want to check out that documentary now. Um it, I was watching it the first time, you know, I have like a, a movie room in the basement where we watch movies. And um, every once in a while, uh, my wife, Nikki, will come in and like, it's like, is this a podcast movie? And she didn't even ask. She didn't have to ask for this one. Um, yeah. She sat down and I think it was right 
in the scene where um, Sister Jean is like walking up and down and she's uh, having like the fantasy about Grandier and she's mm-hmm. like, what is this? And I'm like, you, you sort of have to watch it from the beginning. I think she would, <laughs> I think she would dig it if she watched the whole movie, but um, it's, nice. o- it's, it's always like those things where it's like out of context. It's like, man, like, you couldn't have picked a worse time to come in. This is, this, <laughs> this, this is not a movie that you, you watch part of, you know, you don't break it up into pieces. You sit down and watch this. It's like, and it's perfect timing because we're watching this and talking about it right around Easter time. So um, if you're, uh, if you're, if this is new to you, if you've never seen this movie, sit the family down, you know, um, grab your Easter ham, um, you know, cuddle up <laughs> and uh, enjoy the devils. It's, it's on shutter. Um, if you, don't have Shutter, which if you're listening to my podcast, you're probably sick of hearing it. And I'm sort of cross promoting, but um, you should use to, if, if you don't have it, you can use the code AOTKP and get a free month. If nothing else to check out this movie. And then when you get on there, you're going to find out that, oh, wh- how do I live without this? Because they have so much great stuff on there right now. Yeah, full, yeah, full support of that. Because, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like a, a big reason for picking this is that I saw it was on Shutter. You talked to me about coming on the podcast and I was like the devil. So like, I didn't even like have to think about it because if it's on there, if it's on Shutter, if you have Shutter, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch it because otherwise you're going to have to get a region free, a region free Blu-ray player and order the devils from BFI or get a bootleg from nefarious means. Which, like you said, I don't normally support that. But if a studio refuses to release the movie and right, you know, it, it's watch it on Shutter if you can. Um, but if you want to see the versions with the extra scenes cut in and stuff, um, I think it's fair to until they put out an official release. I think it's it's completely fair because uh, we can't legally. I mean, there's no if we we would pay for it if we could is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. So, so yeah. make it available for us. Um, start the uh, the Russell cut, hashtag the Russell cut instead of the Snyder cut. We want the Russell cut of uh, the devils. Yes, please. Did, did you have any anything else to add to our discussion of the devils? Um, no, I mean, I guess I'm just really glad that you you liked it. Um, it's one of those movies where. You know, I'm I'm confident enough in it that I was like. I know he's going to like it, but it could make him uncomfortable. And I specialize in in making people feel uncomfortable. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't hold back my opinions about what I like and what I don't like. And so um, I, I was just like, I'm just really happy that you liked it. Cause I know that's um, a big part of what your podcast is, is like having people experience things for the first time and, it's really delightful when they enjoy that thing that you love so much for the first time. Well, yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've talked about it. I'm on like 35 episodes now and I'm still waiting for someone to make a suggestion of a movie I don't like. And I'll be honest when I hit it. Um, but this movie is, is just good. Like it's, it's very, very well made the acting. Oh, and I, I, before um, I forget I did have mm-hmm. I, I wrote some crazy notes like I was writing putting notes in my phone that are sort of funny um, just reading out of context <laughs> out of context it's just it's like woman is dying using hornets crocodile throws crocodile um, but I had written down one of my favorite lines from um, Grandier's speech at the end when he's in court and he's basically screwed he knows they're going to kill him 
but he's stating his case. He says, The devil has spoken, and to doubt his words is sacrilege. You have totally perverted Christ's own teaching. This new doctrine, especially invited, especially in- invented for this occasion, is the work of men who are not concerned with fact or law or theology, but a political experiment to show how the will of one man can be pushed in destroying not only one man or one city, but one nation. And just his delivery, Oliver Reed's deliveries of these speeches of this movie, like any time he's on screen is so captivating. But I just at that point, I was totally hooked and rooting for him. And I'm just I feel so bad for him um, being used as an example and just basically being killed for for nothing. And his his will to stand up for himself and his his town is just like. You know, it, to me, like his performance is just so boombastic. I just almost like want to cheer when he's in court. Like, fuck yeah. Like, yeah, he's just he's great. Yeah. You know, my favorite quote from the movie is <laughs> when uh, the dad of the girl, um, he got pregnant and Grandier got pregnant. Mm-hmm. said like it's after the crocodile fight and he's yelling at him. He says, I'll see you in hell. And Grandier is walking away and says, walking on a living pavement of aborted bastards, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he has like the best slapbacks too. Like he does. And he's walking through the city and there's like fire and, and dead, you know, they're, they're corpses out in the streets and stuff. It's just, that's a really cool scene too. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Another like slapback when he's asked when he's being tortured, do you love the church? And he says, not today. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even when he's being tortured and and it's not in public, he still stands his ground and uh, it just makes him that much more admirable. Like to me, I just, I completely, I love his performance. I'm I'm hooked now. I want to check out some more of his Oliver Reed's work. I want to check out more of Russell's work. Uh, yeah, I, I thought this was awesome. Nice. Let me ask you this, and and you can cut this out if doesn't fit in. But um, you recorded AOTKP last night, right? Mm-hmm. Did you bring this up in your what what I watched yes, segment? I, yep. Okay. So had anybody else on AOTKP seen this? I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. I think um, I mentioned I was like, you know, I I was like very vague. I was like, well, I watched the devils, but you're going to have to listen to my podcast to hear my deep thoughts on it. But I I was like, you know, you need to check it out. And I think if I remember correctly, Jason and Mike are both sort of like, especially Jason, I remember it was sort of like, yeah, I see I'll tell it on shutter. I need it. And I'm like, you don't it's not don't something. It's not something you just pop in when you're like laying around with a girlfriend. Like, right. Yeah, unless you want to get in the doghouse. But um, yeah, I I mentioned it on there, but I saved the I I try to save my conversation for this show because uh, I I don't, you know, I want my raw feelings out. Don't want to cross pollinate. Yeah, yeah. Even though (laughs) I do that a lot, but it's it's uh, yeah, I did mention on there. And of course, we mentioned you a few times because I was like, can you guess who picked the devils? (laughs) 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 No surprise. Uh, They guessed right away. But yeah, I did mention it. Okay. Yeah, I was I was just curious because I was like, I can see Jason probably hating this movie. <laughs> Maybe. Prove me wrong, Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll I'll let him uh, be the judge of that. We'll have to find a way to I'll have to find a way to convince Mike to put it on one of the episodes. We'll have to find a theme. Maybe I don't know if we've done religion recently. That's always uh, a deep one. But um, tell my listeners where they can find your podcast and what else you got going on. 
Oh, yeah, sure. So um, both Unsung Horrors and Customers Also Watched are available on any podcatcher. Uh, you can follow Customers Also Watched on Twitter at CAW Podcast, Facebook or Instagram under Customers Also Watched. And then Unsung Horrors, you can follow um, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Unsung Horrors. And you can follow me on Letterboxd under the username Also Watched. Yes. And I don't know. I mentioned already we've got like the April showers of blood coming up um, this month. And we've got some cool guests lined up too. So I'm excited about that. We've got um, Daniel Eggeroth, who wrote the book Swedish Sensation Films, um, put out by Bazillion Points. So he's going to be a guest for one of our episodes in April. We're also going to have um, author and frequent. Uh, film co um, commentator Sam Deegan as a guest in the future as well. So I'm excited for that. Well, I know I'm going to be listening. It's always exciting to see what pops up because 90% of the stuff I've never heard of. So uh, <laughs> going in, it's like one of the shows that if I'm listening and I, I get sidetracked or get I listen at work, I'll go back and like have to rewind 15 seconds because I'm like, wait, I got to got to hear that, you know, but um, <laughs> I appreciate I that. <laughs> I really do enjoy your shows and you know, you've had all of us on uh, from AOTKP and you've had me on and it's just uh, great to have you on this show. And it, what a perfect pick for me. I really do appreciate it. And um, we'll have to have you back on sometime soon and uh, find what else. Because, I, I mean, I'm never going to be able to recommend a movie to you that you haven't seen. <laughs> but uh... I mean, I, I'll make a confession. Um, so this this year, a thing that I'm doing for letter I, I mentioned already that I'm doing I'm trying to make Ken Russell my most watched director but I'm also trying to make Udo Kier my most watched actor and I didn't know this until John told me but Udo Kier is in Armageddon which I have never seen mm. um so that that's the only thing I have to offer you <laughs> As far as a movie I haven't seen that, I, I, that I'm willing to watch. And it's all I'm only willing to watch it because Udo Kier is in it. <laughs> I have I don't think I've actually sat down and watched it. I've I've probably stopped on it when it's on cable and like on, okay. on like a Saturday afternoon or I've been in the next room when a sibling was watching or something. But I've never seen that one either. And I had what in the fuck is Udo Kier doing in Armageddon? What in the hell? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got much more respect for you now than I, than I <laughs> having not seen Armageddon. I'm like, I knew I liked Tad. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, um, thanks so much for, for stopping on the show. Uh, it's been great talking about this crazy movie. And again, if you're listening and you haven't seen it, check it out on Shudder or, or find a version of the devil somewhere out there, but make sure it's not the um, extremely cut down version that's on uh vhs or it's probably on youtube somewhere because you want to see the full version but um yeah. we, we spoiled the whole thing for you anyways but honestly this is a movie that has to be seen i can say the scenes out loud but until you see them like in front of your face acted out on screen it's it's not the same yeah agreed thanks again for listening to today's episode if you enjoy the show please leave a review on apple podcasts a special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast. <laughs>